To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Shane Wigand um, from New Mexico Pack Burrows. So this is wild. Have you ever heard of a pack donkey? Um, I had not. I, I knew they existed out there, but I, I had heard a, a pack mules, a pack horses, pack llamas, pack goats, but pack donkeys was something that was new to me. Um, Shane was a great guest. He's really knowledgeable about packing, um, about the equipment you need. And he, he does a great job of shooting us straight, like giving us the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, and giving us uh, you know, the reality of using pack donkeys and some of the challenges you'll run into. So he did a great job. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was just so interesting. It's just something new that I had never heard about. Um, boy, you know, he talked about the expense getting into it. He... He talked about they're doing pack donkey races now. Um, just wild. Uh, just a, a new world that I got introduced to that I'm going to introduce you guys to on this brand new podcast. So um, we'll get this thing rolling. I just want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Swagger Bipods. Um, if you guys are in the market for a bipod or shooting sticks, I really believe Swagger's building the best out there. Um, I really like their bipod that mounts to the rifle. It's got adjustable legs on it, and then it's got this spring tension to it, uh, which makes it different from other bipods. Other bipods, you know, if you lay down on a target and that target starts to walk to the right or walk to the left, you have to pick up the bipod and set it back down where these legs are spring-loaded and they swivel on the gun. And so... If your target starts to walk to the right, you can just swivel and swing with it. You can also make these spring tension legs, and so they put tension back into your shoulder, which makes for a real comfortable shooting position. Uh, being an accurate shot with a rifle is all about the rest, and Swagger builds the best ones out there. Um, their shooting sticks are, are also... Uh, spring tension loaded where you can move them up or down with a spring tension to, to really acquire your target quickly. Uh, like I say, I think they're building the best ones made. So if you're in the market for new shooting sticks, new bipods, make sure to check them out. Swagger. I also want to thank High Mountain Seasonings. I have got hooked on High Mountain Seasonings this year with their, their jerky seasonings. Um, man, they've got some great flavor to them. I've been doing batches in my dehydrator, but, but high mount seasonings, they, they build really good jerky seasoning, but they build everything for your wild game needs. So they've got snack stick kits. They've got summer sausage kits. They've got steak marinades, uh, jerky marinades, which I'm using, which I love. Um, so they've, they've got about everything you could need for wild game preparation, um, so if you guys are in the market for some great jerky or other snacks, make sure to check them out at High Mountain Seasoning. With that, we made it 2020. Just wild to finish up a year and finish up a, a decade and kind of reflect back. And, and then it always gets me looking towards the future. And um, 2020 and, and moving forward, it's going to be such a fun year. I'm so excited about this podcast 
Um, I'm having so much fun doing it, connecting with these guests, uh, mixing in these solo podcasts where I share my journey with you guys and hunting. And, you know, I think the key for this podcast is I'm so passionate about backcountry hunting and, and I just want to keep living my life, um, a life of adventure and a life of excitement and, and full of passion and love for this backcountry bow hunting. I just absolutely love it. And so I think that's the key. So those are the goals moving forward. I'm going to put together a solo podcast. In fact, I'll, I need to sit down and record it. I've got a couple hours here. Maybe I can sit down and record it today. I just got some thoughts I've been jotting down just about the new year and goals and, um, how to, how to become better, you know, better bow hunter, better person, uh, better financially, you know, so, you know, I've got these goals and these things I've been thinking about, want to share them with you guys. And, um, and it should be a, a motivational podcast. I'm always fired up at the beginning of the year. I mean, I'm fired up all times of the year, but it, it just seems like this is a good time where you make a fresh start into the 2020 season and a break from the 2019 season. So it's always good to think about it and, um, Think about, you know, my weaknesses and where I can get better. So should be a fun one. Um, we got some great stuff for you uh, coming up at Eastman's as well. Um, great Beyond the Grid episodes. Uh, Guy Eastman's Mountain Lion Hunt is on there. Um, now Brandon Mason's son, Hunter Mason, uh, with a great mule deer harvest. Uh, those are the last couple episodes. Um, just great next level uh, entertainment. Uh, um, I'm really impressed by and proud of uh, the products that Eastman's putting out. And then that elk episode that goes along with that elk hunting podcast that I did not too long ago, that epic hunting I had for um, my home state of Montana here. It's all on public ground with my bow and kind of showcases um, spot and stock skills for elk. Well, that video is all edited, put together, and is released this week uh, on the Outdoor Channel um, Eastman's hunting journal, super proud of the way that one came out. Um, I, I think it's my best work thus far and, uh, I just want to continue to, to get better and, um, you know, uh, telling that story. It's so difficult. Uh, you'd think you just have these adventures and it would come through on the screen, but it's, it's wild to have to put all the scenes and shots together and then tell the story aud- audibly, you know, um, as it goes on and edited through where you guys really feel like you're there and in the grind with me. So anyways, I'm really proud of this one, the way it came out. So make sure to set your DVR or look, be on the lookout for that one. And, um, yeah, with that, let's get this thing rolling. Um, so this is, uh, Shane Wigan, New Mexico pack burrows, uh, Eastman's elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I got Shane Wiegand, um, New Mexico Pack Burrows. Um, so this is really cool. I'm really happy to connect with you. We started talking before the podcast a little bit, but uh, Pack Burrows is something I don't hear much about. For sure, yeah. So I'm uh, the organizer and I guess founder, if you call it, of uh, New Mexico Pack Burrows. And what that is, is we're a community down here in New Mexico of burrow and donkey owners burrows and donkeys are the the same thing and we uh are just a group of folks who pack with them in the back country we also uh we also do in-hand trail races with them and just do a lot of things you know with with burrows that you don't normally see man that's so wild like yeah like um 
you know, up here in Montana, you know, I hear about, you know, horses, pack mules, um, and like you say, the goats and llama thing is starting to catch on, but I haven't heard anything about the burros, but uh, you really like hunting with yours, right? You did a couple trips this season? Yeah, definitely. So uh, this this fall, I've done a, a goat trip in the Lee Metcalf Wilderness in Montana. We took took the I traveled from New Mexico. I live here near near Albuquerque. Uh, did the two day drive up to uh, Southwest Montana for the Lee Metcalf into the Lee Metcalf, and it was on my uh, sister's mountain goat tag that she drew. And we we hiked in. We did two separate trips, one onto the north end of this range and one end to the south end of this range. The first the first trailhead we came out of was a five mile hike up to the ridge with about 2,000 feet of climbing. Uh, both me, my dad, and my sister, we, you know, we had uh, probably 20 25 pound packs just with your you know water, food. She had a rifle, stuff like that, bear spray, uh, and the donkeys carried the rest. So they took us up that ridge. Um, in there for four or five days, we pulled out because we weren't seeing any goats, and then uh, went to another spot where we did a we did a sequen- sequential packing of sorts, where we uh, made a base camp uh, base camp that afternoon. Hike that was probably a four or five mile hike. They took off straight up in the morning, and then uh, I packed up camp and then did another three or four miles up another thousand feet to kind of get into the goat country. So they're great uh, backcountry animals. Uh, handle all sorts of terrain. That last part of that pack trip was was all off trail, um, uphill, just through uh, kind of bouncing between meadows and in between different timber patches and stuff. But it was probably a solid two three miles off trail. Man, so how much does a burrow weigh? So with uh with bur- burrows or donkeys. You've got essentially three sizes. You've got what you're what you'd call mini donkeys and miniature donkeys. They're those real little ones that you might see. Uh, they're 36 inches and under at the at the weathers or essentially at the shoulder. Um, they're looking at probably 350, 300 and less pounds. The next size up is going to be your standard donkeys. That's 36 to 48 inches, and they're probably you know 350 to 550. And then uh, mammoths are 56 inches and above, and those are uh, those are your really really big donkeys, and those are the ones they generally use to make mules. Oh, gotcha. Um, how how much can they pack normally? So you don't ride them, um, right? You lead them everywhere you go, and they follow you and uh, can pack your stuff, right? Yeah, correct. So I've got two standard donkeys. They're both about 450 to maybe 525 for weight. That's the biggest question I get is how much can they carry? Because everybody likes to compare, compare them to goats and llamas and horses and stuff. What you'll read in kind of the older literature um, is they'll tell you anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of their body weight. Now, that being said, if you've got a burrow that's been you know in your backyard and not getting any exercise, 20 percent of its body weight is a lot of weight. Um, so you know if you're good about getting them out in the summer – and uh, doing training hikes just like you would, uh, you know, 20, 25% is definitely doable. Uh, so with my 500, 550 uh, donkeys, you're probably looking at 100, 100 pounds, somewhere around that range. Um, I've carried them he- or had them carry heavy loads out of about 60 pounds per pannier. So a pannier being the bags you carry on the, on the pack saddle. So uh, 120 pounds on the donkey. 
um, and they've done just fine. Man, they're strong. They can pack some weight, huh? Definitely. They're they're. I mean, they've got a low center of gravity, uh, which is which is really good because uh, one of the one of those trips uh, a couple years ago was actually also an elite Metcalf on my dad's mountain goat hunt. We were uh, we were loaded pretty heavy out, probably about 120 pounds per animal. We're coming out with his goat and then all of camp. We had about a seven mile hike back, and we woke up that morning. And you know when you're sitting in your little two man tent, and you wake up and you can feel the sides of the tent pressing on on you, and you just kind of push on them and realize the whole tent's loaded with like you know six inches of snow. Um, we woke up to probably. Uh, I don't know, probably about 10 inches, eight, 10 inches of snow that morning. And so we load them heavy, uh, start coming down the mountain, coming down the trail. We had about seven miles out and we get to these switchbacks and these switchbacks, you know, previously were just packed dirt and it dropped probably three, 400 feet down in this Creek bottom. And the fully loaded donkeys pretty much ping ponged slid down each one of those switchbacks uh, you know, le- leaning back on their haunches, feet spread out, uh, just sliding the whole way. And I'm pretty sure that their, you know, low center of gravity is pretty much what kept them on the trail. I'm not sure a horse or a mule would have had much luck, uh, just given how slippery it was. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's as slick as it comes. So they're really sure-footed and have good balance, and sounds like they can do good in in all different types of weather, from um, wet and snow, like you're talking about. They're like any livestock, so it sounds like they could do good, you know, down where you're at, New Mexico, you know, all the way up to Montana. Have you had any problems with weather, or getting them wet, or do you have to worry about temperature at all or anything? Uh so you definitely worry about it. I mean, anytime you take an animal in the backcountry, you know, whether it be your dog or, you know, uh, whatever, you're worried about them. You're you're the reason that they're there in the backcountry. So you know, it's your first and foremost responsibility to take care of them. Um, so when you get really crappy weather, um, things I think about is, you know, if it's raining, that's all right. If it's windy, that's all right. When you start combining wind and rain or wind and snow, that's when you start to got start to have to really think about stuff. Um, some things you need to think about are, uh, you know, are they getting enough feed that feeds essentially turning their engine and their stomach and keeping them warm. So if you have the chance to graze them for a significant period of time, um, during just normal, normal, just day to day operations, when you're out in the back country, I'd like to graze my, get my animals at least two hours in the morning or two hour and two and or two hours in the evening um, of gra- of just free good grass grazing. Uh, if the weather's really bad, I'll supplement with uh, they make little grass pellets that you can just pick up at you know tractor supply or whatever, uh, and I'll supplement with you know a pound or two of that a day as well and some grazing because uh, I mean you need to keep them warm and their stomach's going to keep them warm. I've in in real bad conditions, uh, you know if I think it's gonna we're gonna have a snowstorm or something. I'll bring in a uh, just a small tarp and I'll put a tarp over them um, just so they have some protection uh, or try to try to at night I'll put them on a high line which is just a uh, a rope that's tied kind of about high level and then you tie their lead rope to that so they stand under that if I can I'll put that high line under a tree just so they have some protection uh, so yeah you definitely got to worry a little bit but I've had zero problems. I'm probably way over worrying. And there's some folks listening to this right now that are old, 
old horse folks, old just good hands, and they're not they're not worried about any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, coffee. No, that all makes sense, Shane. And I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I mean, me not packing stock into the backcountry. I mean, you're right. They're the whole reason. You know, you're the whole reason they're there, and yeah, you got to look out for them for sure. Um, man, okay, that's wild. So, and and how much um how much water do they need? So that's a question I get a ton too. Um, you know, I, I I love the packing community and I love goats and llamas and horses and everybody, but you know, it seems like when we talk about goats or llamas or burros, we're always like, well, they don't need any water. You can go days and days. Um, you know, every, every animal needs to be offered water at least once a day. Uh, whether that be, you know, a stop at a Creek, uh, uh, a bucket, something. What I typically do is, uh, if I'm near a Creek, I'll just put a, uh, uh, I guess in my, in my panniers, the bags that go on the, on the pack saddle, I have Rubbermaid containers in there and those Rubbermaid containers, uh, hold all the gear, um, that we go down the trail with. Then I also use them to feed those pellets I talked about earlier, and then I also use it to scoop water out of a creek. So I might have a little collapsible bucket or something that I that I put water into that uh into those containers with. So I can stick water right in that container, or you know you take them down to the creek. Uh, but honestly, sometimes uh, we did a trip into the Gila Wilderness two years ago. And it pretty much was raining every day, you know, those kind of just afternoon thunderstorms that you get in September. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, there was so much water and so much dew on the grass that I don't think I saw them drink for three days. It may have actually been on the fourth day that they finally drank. I still took them down to the, the little spring that we were filling off every day um, and took them, down, took them down there and offered it to them. They just stood there like I was stupid. Uh, so they were getting a lot of their water from their feed and they were in lush, you know, knee high, waist high grass and, uh, they just didn't need it. So how they were loving life. Yeah. And they, they, you know, they evolved as desert, desert animals as well. You know, same thing with goats and llamas. They, they evolved in a very arid climate. So, uh, you know, as far as water needs go on the water scale, they're, they're right down pretty low, man. Huh, and and uh, their temperament is pretty good on the trail. Yeah, I, you know, everyone asks, are they aren't they stubborn? Aren't they a pain in the butt? You know, um, aren't they a pain in the ass? All pen, all pun intended. You know, uh, and they're they're not. They just have a little bit different way of communicating. Um, I think they're very calm. They're very forgiving to new packers. Uh, a lot of times they want to stop and think about something before before you do it. You kind of have to convince them to do it so uh when i first got my uh i've got the two i've got two donkeys i've got julia and cisco they're both standard donkeys um one's black and julia's white and uh when i got her i got her off craigslist she had very little very little training um that i was told about and i had to get her into this two horse trailer which she was not a fan of (laughs) and the first time i think it took three hours uh i just i push pulled did whatever i could to get her in eventually um we just stood there for uh two two and a half hours uh, before she finally would come in the next time it took an hour the next time it took 30 minutes uh and then you know a couple weeks later it took an hour again but you know the point being is they want to think about stuff so anytime you're training them you kind of got to be on like donkey time uh or you know just have patience because they want to think about stuff and 
where that I think that is a huge advantage, if not their biggest advantage as a pack animal, is if you're a new packer and you put yourself in a situation, uh, say you're going up a hill that's too steep, um, maybe you get into a really muddy, boggy situation, uh, their natural instinct is is to stop and to and to figure things out. It's essentially kind of freeze. Uh, you know, whereas a, a horse's a, a horse's first instinct is to flee. Um, you know, that kind of comes from how they evolved. And uh, I'm making a few generalizations here. You know, there's a lot, a lot of differences with temperament in animals. But oh, for sure. But makes sense what you're saying. Yeah, but so a donkey's donkey's first reaction is to freeze. So one time I got I got a uh, this it was this spring in the Pecos Wilderness here in New Mexico. Um, I had a just absolute hankering to get out and go do something. So I believe it was May and I decided to, to go up this trail up to this lake in the Pecos. And it was, we got a lot of snow was kind of, I think everybody did last winter and a lot of snow hung around late in the year. And so we try to go up to this lake and we go around to the back end of this lake where that's kind of like, it's kind of boggy. You know, you've got snow melting off the side of a side of a cliff or whatever. And there's some snowpack and then it kind of runs into the lake, but it's just kind of like a marshy field. Uh, we decided to cross that and didn't have a problem, but coming back the next day, we almost got back to, you know, the dry trail and, uh, Julia sank, sank up to her knees. Um, I noticed as I was walking, walking, it was just like, okay, this is a little bit squishy. I don't know if this is a good idea. And as soon as like, I finished that thought, I looked around, I started to turn around and she just sank straight up to her chest. Oh no. Cisco was uh, was tied uh, um, was following her, and he he sank his front two feet in, but was able to pull it right back out. When she panicked, she kind of panicked and then sunk her back legs in, and then she just froze. Uh, so right there, I had a donkey sunk up to her chest or up to up to her belly, all four legs in, and uh, so I started cutting the lash ropes, which those are the ropes that. Um, that kind of uh, hitch onto the panniers. Um, there's different ways you can do knots with a rope to kind of relieve some of the weight off of them. And I, so I cut the lash ropes, uh, threw off the panniers as quickly as I could, and was it, she was able to kind of unsuck herself from that. Now, if you had a horse or some animal that was kind of more panicky, that could have been an absolute rodeo and disaster. And honestly, you know, very well could have ended up in a broken leg. Um, at the animal and or, or a dead animal, to be honest. Uh, I was six, seven miles from the trailhead, so you know the reality is an animal with a broken leg up there is is kind of a dead animal. Man, so I'd I, say. Yeah. So it was cool. She froze. It turned a very dangerous uh, situation that was I put us in because of my my naivety and me still learning this. Um, now I watch for those areas and I just make a big circle around them. Or just you know stop short or find a different direction. Uh, it's something you gotta. It's something you don't think about as a hunter because you know you just walk across it. But it's something you gotta consider if you have pack animals. Yeah, it's like anything. You learn as you go and get better at it. And yet, once you know what the obstacles are, they're easier to avoid. 
Um, but yeah, it sounds like they bring a calm to the situation. When you get them in a bad situation, they almost freeze. Have you had them around um, any bears or anything like that? Or, or um, do they alarm you at night? Like I know some guys are really t- tuned into their stock where when they're sleeping in their wall tent, they can hear their horses start to rustle if you know there's a bear around or something like that. Do they have an alarm system or do they make much noise? Uh yeah, they definitely they definitely can make some noise. So here here at my house, so here at my house, my uh, their little turnout uh, pasture area is actually right outside my bedroom window. So every morning at four thirty in the morning, their fog horns uh, go off. They bray, um, and it's a pretty cool noise. Uh, so they can make some noise. They'll do that sometimes um, as an alarm call of sorts. Uh, I haven't seen them do it much in the backcountry. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've only heard my donkeys really bray once. Uh, but they, what they do is they spot animals way faster than you do. I don't know how it happens, but if you're going along a trail and there's a deer or something in the brush, they spot it right away. Usually they'll stop, they'll look at it, and then they don't care anymore. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, if you're having kind of one of those, uh, you know, lazy warm days, in the camp in the in the camp at back in the back country when you're bow hunting or something i'm watching the animals um if they're out grazing in a meadow or something if they perk up i know 100 percent that there's something you know something going on could be an elk could be a deer could be a bear uh the closest i've ever had a bear to them i we had a bear in the lee metcalf um it was a smaller grizzly probably 400 yards from camp now it wasn't super in sight and it wasn't it wasn't downwind, so I'm not sure the donkeys actually knew it was there, but they didn't care. We have had elk come into camp and elk bark. Um, I've heard the donkeys rustling around, you know, outside my tent, uh, uh, but they haven't they haven't spooked to any animals yet um, that I've had experience with. Man, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, it seems like they're pretty good hunting partners in the backcountry. They're awesome. So you know, coming coming from I started. I grew up, I actually grew up there in Bozeman in Montana and then started to get into backcountry hunting, uh, after college and, uh, you know, did that for a few years. And then I was absolutely convinced that I was going to get, uh, either goats or llamas. In fact, I went and looked at some llamas in Colorado. Uh, they were a little bit, a little bit nutso. Um, but you know, it's what I could afford. And I was thinking about them. I couldn't really afford a trained pack llama cause you know, they're going for, shoot three four grand uh but i still you know i still wanted to uh you know go further uh stay out there stay out there longer than i could out of my backpack uh so i was looking for something and then that's when i i was a trail runner uh so that's when uh uh donkeys really turned my eye when i uh found out about uh pack burrow racing um and that's something that's that's really neat Dude, now that is wild. So that's what I think so cool because I I run so much in my training, but but uh, guys are running with them and having them pack their stuff and then running with their burrows. Well, tell me a little bit about it. They're like a, a a trail race with your burrow, right? Yeah. So what it is is uh it's an in hand, and so you're in, what they call an in hand trail race. So you've got the lead rope of your donkey and you run with it. Uh, no riding is allowed. There, it originally started in, in the, uh, I want to say like the 50s or 60s in Colorado in some of these little mining towns. I forget 
which one it exactly started in. But uh, it started as kind of a way to, well, the legend is, okay, two, two miners, uh, you know, struck their, struck gold up in the hills and they tried to, they wanted to race down or they had to race down to stake their claim at the bank or however that all works. And thus became the pack bar race. In reality, it's actually, it was actually uh, a, a, uh, a way to get people back to these, some of these dying mining towns in the fifties and sixties, or at least, um, you know, mining towns that weren't doing so well. And it kind of took off from there. And there's a series of, I want to say about 12 of them in Colorado right now. They're anywhere from five to 28 miles in length. So some of these are straight up ultra marathons. Uh, a lot of times they're mountainous single track or, uh, you know, Jeep two track through the mountains. Uh, the last one I did was in Leadville, Colorado. And, uh, that one I think was about 22 miles with about 2000 feet of gain on the long course. The short course was looking at about 11 miles. Uh, and probably about 1,000, 1,500 feet of, feet of gain during the race. And uh, these races are amazing. If if you live within at all a day's drive of Colorado or if you're looking to take a take a family trip to Colorado for a weekend, look up these uh, these pack bro races. The organization that sponsors them is called the – or is affiliated with them. is called the Western Pack Bro Association. They've got their race schedule there on their website. And it's usually, I, I think it's usually finalized by April or March or April or something every year. And uh, they're just an awesome thing to be a part of. Usually they're paired with the local uh, mining or some sort of festival that's going on at that time. So there's a ton of different events going on. And then the, kind of the highlight or the keystone of each weekend are these pack bro races. They usually start like 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's pretty family friendly. Uh, and they're getting so popular now where some of these races have 80, 90 teams that start. So a team being a donkey and a runner. So the start lines are just absolutely awesome. I mean, you get to see a ton of burrows all lined up. And then I think they're pretty much all uh, gunshot starts. So, you know, someone fires a gun there on Main Street. You've got, you know, three to 10,000 spectators lining Main Street. And you just haul butt down the street, and it's it's on. It is an absolutely incredible experience for anybody who's ever ever been to one. Oh, that's wild. So they'll just pace right with you, huh? Like I always like leading a horse is always a pain because they're always like stepping on the back of your heels. But those burros learn to pace with you pretty good, where you can jog and they'll keep right with you, just holding on to their lead rope, huh? Like like uh, having my dog follow me or something at most. <sighs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, they can be it can be temperamental, uh, like any sort of sport or anything you do with an animal. Uh, you know, your your dog has good days and bad days. Sometimes you're hunting with it and it's a great <laughs> day. Other days you're absolutely embarrassed, and they will find you know the burrows will find the biggest audience possible to make a fool out of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, you know sometimes you end up walking some of the race just because you know it's a bad day. Sometimes you absolutely freaking fly. Uh, you know some of these top top tier folks that are that are winning a lot of these races or you know placing real real high in the standings they're kicking off you know easy uh, you know going downhill i the last one of the races we did in georgetown colorado this year uh we had a couple of five five thirty six minute paces uh you know flying downhill and some of these people who are running now with some of these donkeys who have had 15 20 years of this racing behind them um are just absolutely incredible times. They're completing ultra marathons in competitive ultra marathon time with a donkey. Uh, 
so it's just it's it's pretty awesome uh and you know the there's several outfits you don't necessarily with these races you don't necessarily have to own your own donkey to do this there's a couple of different outfits that uh rent a donkey for a day so you can get your donkey get your pack saddle um a lot of these races require you to uh carry a pan pick and a shovel as kind of a throwback to the mining culture that started all this uh so you can rent all that from that you can do your donkey for a day and uh go out and do one of these races you can walk the whole thing if you want there's quite a few folks that do uh all levels of all levels of participant are absolutely welcome and you know the spirit of these races is pretty neat and that the race is never over until the last ass is across the line so uh it's a wonderful culture to be a part of and uh something that's you know it's not done until the last person comes in and that's really cool in this day and age Man, that's really cool. Yeah, I bet that's a fun time. Um, like you say, you don't know what you're getting into when you start. Uh, the the donkey has definitely got to complicate things at times. And like you say, on a good day, you fly down the trail. But on a bad day, you guys are fighting each other the whole day. Uh, but yeah, man, that's pretty wild. And so like um, you got into it, wanted to have pack animals. Like how much um how much land does it take or or where do you pasture them or um you know what's it take to support a, a donkey throughout a year yeah so uh right now i've got a the house the house that i'm at right now we've got about two acres um a lot of folks you know recommend about an acre per animal um I do a lot with my animals, so I think two acres is plenty because we're getting out on a pretty regular basis and going doing doing stuff. Um, you know that space thing is kind of it's real relative on on who you are. You know how that space is set up. Ours is kind of in an L shape. You know if it's all one block or if it's separated. But uh, what's so from the beginning? You know if you're looking at getting an animal, places to look at finding a donkey. So you've got Craigslist. You know that's a that's it's craigslist um you've got uh you've got rescues you can google donkey rescues there's several organizations out here out there that are great um some of them even even have uh pack trained animals uh adoption fees can range anywhere from two to five hundred per animal depending on the training uh i forget the name of the the organization who's doing it in colorado right now but they've got several pack trained ready to rock donkeys uh there's the BLM program. So you've got, uh, the wild borough populations in the West. They do roundup of those and you can go through the BLM to adopt those within the BLM program. You have, uh, uh, what they call tip trainers. I forget what tip stands for, but essentially those are trainers that are gentling and, uh, training donkeys. So you can look at them to get a BLM donkey. Uh, what else? That's kind of, that's kind of the, the big ones. Um, donkeys, you always want to buy, buy donkeys in pairs. Uh, they become pretty attached to, to whatever they're with. So a lot of times a rescue center or adoption place, uh, will say, you know, this donkey has to go with its burrow buddy, you know, X, uh, just cause they're bonded. Um, same thing with races. Um, sometimes you got to race with the other donkey just cause they'll lose their mind if, if the other one's not around. So you're looking at a minimum of two animals. Uh, things you want to look for if you're getting, uh, getting a donkey, uh, you know, just like dog, whatever, uh, temperament, you want to buy on temperament. So, you know, is the animal willing? Is it half kind of just generally content to be around? Uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to pick up a, an animal that's aggressive 
or an, uh, an animal that is, I guess, maybe overly shy. If you're, if you're a new, new stock owner, you know, you want to set yourself up for success. Uh, you know, uh, a real shy or anxious donkey um, is an animal. It's probably definitely trainable by the right person, but as your first animal, it's, it's, that's a rough one to start on. Um, you know, if you found the donkey that you think you want, you want to make sure it's halter broke, you know, it's willing to kind of lead and follow you around. Uh, you can, uh, you want to check its feet. You want to make sure it's, uh, it'll pick up its feet so you can clean your feet. That's just kind of a, it's a important health thing as well as a trust thing. If they allow you to pick up their feet, you know, they're probably going to allow you to do a lot more with them. And then, uh, dogs and kid familiar, I guess. Uh, you know, that's something help that would be helpful. Donkeys, donkeys, a lot of times are used as guard animals and stuff too. So you want to just make sure that they're not overly dog aggressive. I haven't had a problem with it, but you know, you never know if they were raised pretty, if there was a big coyote problem where they came from and they're used to going after dogs, that's not a situation you want to put yourself in. Hmm. So, man, uh, yeah, what a wild option. Yeah, I didn't even know it exists, but it seems like it's been the the perfect match for you. I bet you're um, now when you plan your hunting trips in the future, you're always looking to utilize, you know, those the, the your donkeys, you know, to get you in the country and get a good camp in there and access remote country. And um, like you say, spend the amount of time in there to be able to look at trophy critters or they. So you, you talk about grazing them or leaving them on a high line at night. How do you leave them throughout the day? Like, do they do okay with you being gone for an eight-hour day or a 10-hour day when you're hunting in the backcountry? So uh, they uh, – in the, the typical morning um, might kind of go something like this. So I wake up a little bit earlier than everyone else. Uh, if I brought enough pellets in, so if we, if we go to pack in and uh, – how I try to think about it is you're just back. You're still backpacking. Someone's just carrying your stuff because these aren't full size, you know, horses or mules that can carry 200 plus pounds of, of dead weight in the back country. You still kind of got to be conscious about what you take. You can take some luxuries and whatnot, but you got to be conscious on weight. So if I've got some extra weight that I can put on the animals, I'll put those, uh, put those pellets to fill their panniers up with weight. And what those uh, grass pellets do is in the morning when I wake up, I can just feed them uh, a couple of pounds of those grass pellets, uh, usually mix a little bit of water in there, and then they're good to go for the, for the day. Uh, in the evening, uh, if we decide to hunt the entire day, um, in the evening I'll make sure that they have a – I'll put a hobbles on, which are just uh, – essentially I've got some ones that are just neoprene cuffs that go on each leg with a little chain in between. I'll, put, I'll hobble them up. And just let them walk around, graze, do what they do, and then feed them a few more pellets if I don't have, you know, a couple hours to let them graze. If we get back, you know, real late at night from chasing elk in the evening. Uh, if, you know, if you get some afternoons off or if you've got a slow, a slow morning, you end up coming back at camp. Uh, I just turn them out for as long as, as long as, uh, as long as we feel like it. I'll just let them graze, make sure they're getting plenty. Uh, how I know they get enough feed is, if they're out there grazing and they start, they can walk with hobbles. I mean, hobbles by no means completely, completely, uh, you know, make them free of moving. Uh, they can still get up and move. If they start walking a long ways from camp just to go do donkey stuff, I'll, I'll tie them back up because they've had plenty, plenty to eat. So and that usually in good feed, 
that's a good good grass. That usually takes about an hour and a half for them to get their fill. Man, um, yeah, it seemed like a pretty easy keep. It like it's always having stock in the backcountry, and like you say, you have to be conscientious of of them and their needs and make sure they're taken care of. Uh, but it sounds like they they can be a real asset in the backcountry too. I just like that they're I, I like that they're a bit smaller. Like sometimes those horses and mules, and I'm just not a stock guy. I, you know, I've I've been around them a touch here and there, but man, I mean, they're just so big and powerful. And if I'm being honest, it seems like with horses, it, it it's not if you get hurt, it's when. Like a lot of these really good cowboys still get hurt on horses, and and those those elk are heavy. And and I know you you know you can't overpack your donkeys, but I mean I'm used to going ten days with fifty pounds, and then I've got to get that hundred pound deer out, you know, or eighty pounds boned out when I kill them. So like like being able to utilize those donkeys for a lot of that, I mean. Eventually, we're all getting older. Eventually, I'm going to have to figure something out as you can't carry everything on your back. But, man, it seems like a really good option that, that I just really don't hear much about, man. It sounds like you're super passionate about it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love them. I mean, I, I I don't have – I didn't – before I got into this, I had no stock experience. Um, I would I would like to say I did, but in the reality, it was, it was absolutely zero. Um, and they have been just so forgiving. That stubbornness has been the absolute – best asset i could have asked for in an animal um and they're they're low cost maintenance uh they're they don't uh like a like a horse or and then a mule to a lesser extent are prone to colic um which is a condition they can get from uh oh shoot i'm gonna i'm gonna really show my ignorance here uh but they can get colic uh from not drinking enough water the food isn't moving through their system enough um and i believe it's some sort of stoppage uh, someone's laughing at me right now listening to this, but, <laughs> um, they're just so low maintenance. I never have to worry about health issues with them. Uh, shoeing, uh, like, like you got a horse, uh, shoe a horse or a mule. Usually, uh, you, you can, you can do them barefoot, but majority of folks shoe them. Uh, I don't shoe donkeys, nor do I really see a lot of people shoeing them. Um, folks who ride mammoth donkeys may shoe them. I'm not sure. But I just I trimmed them myself. Uh, I had someone, a farrier, a person who, tri- who 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 trims horse feet, come out, did it a few times. I learned a little bit. It's a hard, hard learning curve, and I'm by no means fantastic at it. But um, you know that's one cost, about eighty bucks less every three months that I got to pay. Uh, so that's a huge advantage. Yeah, and then um, feed. Do you let them graze throughout the summer, and then supplement in the winter? Do you kind of supplement mm-hmm. year round with them, or? Uh, so being here in New Mexico, you know, grazing grazing is few and far between, at least in in my part of the state. Uh, so essentially, they're out in a dirt a dirt turnout right now. Uh, so I feed grass year round. I just pick up a cheap grass hay um, that would be in, I guess, different from like alfalfa hay, which you'd want to feed to to most horses. Um, especially any sort of horses that you're, you're doing a lot of stuff with. So I pick up cheap grass hay anywhere here down in, in where I'm at runs anywhere from six to $8 a bale. Uh, I go through a bale about every four days or so that comes out to about 700, 800 bucks a year in feed. Um, depending on how cheap I can get it. There's, if you had, if you had grass in the backyard, it would it would be dumb not to own animals because that that's a majority of your annual cost is is paying for that grass. Uh, then then all you really have to worry about is gear, horse feed, and a trailer and fuel. 
Um, so. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Um, like I, like I've got five acres here and it's grasslands. Like I'm sure there's times I'd have to supplement, but boy, to keep it, um, to keep it eaten down. And it's actually good for the grasses too, to graze it like that. It'd be good for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you didn't have that feed, feed, feed bill, uh, one thing I, I just wrote a, I've got a website nmpackburrows.com and I've got a blog on there and I just did a big write up on, uh, cost of owning a burrow, burrow i think i titled it something to the effect of so you want a burrow and i've got exactly what it what it cost what i've got into these animals uh, if i remember right it was about nine hundred dollars in annual costs uh with about six seven eight hundred of that being a feed and then you know just random stuff dewormer uh, a few vet vet checks once in a while if you go across if you're going to haul them across state lines you got to have a health certificate and a coggins um the Coggins test. So there's a little bit of cost there, but you know, if you, if you've got a pickup and you can, you know, you can find a two horse trailer for, you know, two, three grand, uh, then you've got, if it, I bought Julia, my white burrow for 250 bucks off Craigslist, the Cisco, my other burrow, I actually have on a free lease from a lady down the street, uh, who just, who had trained him really well. She pulled a cart with him and did all sorts of awesome things. Um, but she was just looking for a different place for him and someone to use him um, in a little different way, I guess. And so I've got, I got him for free. I got Julia for 250 bucks. I found a two horse trailer for, for about, uh, I think it was about 20, 2200 bucks. I put some 10 ply awesome trailer tires on it. Uh, and then uh, pack saddle and pannier equipment, a good pack saddle probably runs you runs you about 500 or no, less than that probably about 450 bucks uh, just for the pack saddle itself and then the panniers anywhere from 150 to 300 dollars depending on what you want to get so you know call that 800 bucks per animal for gear uh, I think all said and done when I wrote that blog it was about five grand set up which sounds like a lot but this year I did. I think I did four major wilderness trips and I don't think I carried more than a 20 pound pack. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like a lot. Yeah. It sounds um, like my kind of stock cost. Yeah. yeah. Um, something that the blue collar guy can get into um, a little bit more inexpensively. Yeah. That isn't bad at all, man. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And it's really neat that you're using them so much in the wilderness. Is there any restrictions or laws against using them? You'd mentioned like across state lines that you need to have, um, the certificate or whatever, but is there anything else with any wildernesses or anything weird with them? Uh, you know, you just, you want to be coming, coming from the backpack world. I always had a general, you know, to be honest, I had a general disdain for people with horses and stock animals. <laughs> um, and, uh, so you always want to be, you want to be courteous of other, other, other trail users. I haven't ran in any specific regulations other than like, a lot of, you know, some campgrounds say you can't have stock in there. So, you know, make sure the campground you pick, you have stock. Uh, but just be courteous to other trail users. Uh, I've, I've never had a problem, especially with donkeys. People automatically stop and are like, what are those? Uh, but, you know, with anything, you know, be courteous to the horse users. They're on a they're on a fifteen hundred pound animal and you are not. <laughs> and until you start spending time around animals, um, you don't realize how big of a deal that is, uh, especially if you're on a mountain bike and you come ripping down a trail and there's a horse on the other side of it. 
um, can be kind of a scary, scary prospect. But yeah, but, I mean, it's it's like all of us getting along, being able to recreate on this this public lands, right? Yeah. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I always try to give them a wide berth, give them an area. I try to get downhill of them and let them let them get their horse by, and make sure I've got my dog at heel or whatever. But yeah. Um, not all those guys are the most courteous guys either, you know, it kind no, of goes both ways. So well, it goes it goes two ways. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh yeah, that's really cool, man. Well, um I'm really happy to have you on the podcast and discuss these burrows and I can't wait to follow along. You'd mentioned your website once, but it's uh New Mexico Pack Burrows, right? Yeah, um Instagram, Facebook and my website is all NM Pack Burrows. Uh Check that out. Um, a couple other good resources if you're looking to get some more information. Um, there's a book out there called uh, Packing with Burrows by Dave Danny. Um, you know, you can just get it off Amazon for a couple of bucks. So if you're dinking around and thinking about the idea, it's a great book. Um, I, th- I believe it's a little bit older. And then um, there's one other outfit called uh, Mountain Ridge Gear. Uh, that gentleman makes a lot of donkey-specific products, uh, and he's got a great blog. Uh, if you YouTube uh, – Packing with Burrows, he's got a great YouTube channel too. That's got a bunch of uh, just cool burrow videos. Um, packing the guy's a big hunter too, uh, and uh, so it's definitely something to consider. So NM Pack Burrows across Instagram, Facebook, and the website. Oh, thanks a bunch, man. Yeah, that's great information. Um, yeah, I, that was one of my questions too. Is getting the gear for the donkeys is that is that tough? Um, you you talked about like I'm uh, I'm going to show my ignorance now as I'm trying to think. What is it? A bridle or a halter? <laughs> like to be able to lead them around? Um, do they have an actual bit that goes in? Is it a different size than a horse? Like where can you get that gear? You'd mentioned that one website, but is it tough to find? it's it's not that it's a great question don't be afraid to show your ignorance man i was in this i was three years ago i had no idea i didn't know what a farrier was i didn't know what withers were um any of that stuff so um <laughs> <laughs> uh, gear finding gear is uh isn't too bad uh you know most people just haven't had to had to look for donkey gear so it's it's pretty available um there's a great you know do, the donkey call it the donkey subculture is much bigger than you you think it is uh a lot of uh, tack and uh, saddle manufacturers and, uh, you know, backcountry gear, horse gear um, uh, outfits also make donkey gear. Usually it's just smaller sized. Uh, Mountain Ridge Gear specifically does a ton of donkey stuff. Um, they've got donkey pack saddles on there. Um, the pan, uh, the pack light hunting panniers that I use on there are great quality. I um, The guy's been great to work with. I have had to do some returns and uh, he gets back to me right away overnight. Um, and uh, that stuff holds its value too. So we talked about the money and, you know, five grand might seem like a lot for a startup cost. I mean, that's the shoot. That's a, that's a fly in caribou hunt. Um, you're, you're like five grand is a lot of money, but the stuff carries its value super well. Uh, especially if it's well-made, if you don't buy a bunch of, you know, hand-me-down junk or whatever, uh, you know, a pack saddle, you can probably pack good, a good pack saddle and pannier, which are your biggest investments by far, you know, both of them put together 700 bucks. I bet you could still recoup 80% of that. I mean, especially if you buy a good horse trailer, um, that stuff's fairly easy to sell. Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you have an initial investment, but it, it's not like you're throwing that money in the trash. You can always recoup your investment and it's always going to be worth that much. And like you say, 
you know, you have that initial cost, but then you you get to use them for years to come, you know, in the wilderness, uh, packing your stuff in and, and hopefully your big bucks out or your big bulls out. So, man, I think it's really cool. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing so much information and putting out that blog and the information you do to help others uh, get started in using pack donkeys. Absolutely. And you hit it. You hit the nail on the head there for years and years to come. Uh, donkeys have a long lifespan. Some of them push 30, 35. So if they're good shape, you could have a you could have a lifelong partner for all your hunting adventures and uh, uh, really incredible experience and uh, get yourself a little bit further back in there. Right. How cool. It's so outside the box. So thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. No problem. All right. Got an episode. Uh, really fun learning about pack donkeys. Um, just It still sounds funny to me when I say it. I just uh, have never heard of anything like it, but it's wild uh, to get somebody on the podcast. It's so knowledgeable. So thanks to Shane for explaining everything and also, you know, just for giving us a good reality and not just framing it with just the positive. You know, he also gave us the negative or the downfalls, uh, but you can tell he's really passionate about it. And, you know, there there's so many different ways to skin a cat there's so many different ways to be successful on on public ground and everybody has to find their niche or their their way that they find success and using some of these tools to your benefit and to your advantage whether that's horses or llamas goats whether that's pack donkeys or you know a motorcycle whatever it is but but using it uh, as a tool to 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 help you become better um, I, I just think it's so advantageous and so really fun to sit down and get that information that, you know, I never knew existed on Pack Donkey. So hopefully you guys found it interesting. Thanks to Shane for being on the podcast. I also want to thank our sponsors. So I want to thank Swagger Bipods. Uh, I really believe they're building the best bipods and shooting sticks out there. Uh, I also want to thank uh, High Mountain Seasonings for building the best jerky seasoning that kept me alive all of 2019. Um, I'm going to be doing, I think I got maybe one more batch of jerky that I froze that I need to get out and run through and get that for springtime hunting. But uh, I just love um, good flavored jerky. They also have different uh, steak marinades, uh, snack sticks, summer sausage kits. Um, so everything you need for wild game processing. Make sure to check them out. High Mountain Seasonings. And with that, over there at Eastman's, uh, make sure to check out those couple new Beyond the Grids. Uh, be on the lookout for that Eastman's Hunting Journal uh, on the Outdoor Channel, that episode I have. I'm really proud of that one. And, um, yeah, be on the lookout for the magazine. Gosh, I've had um, some good articles come out the last couple issues. I'm trying to remember if I've got one coming out in this next Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. But, um, man, some really fun writing. Um, and, and like I've told you guys, I really like that format, too, where I get to choose these articles... And then, you know, break them down in 1,500 words and really choose my words carefully and my paragraphs and sentence carefully and and uh, have the right photos to go along with them where you, you know, where it feels like you're just talking, but they're, you get to think about what you're saying and reread over it and correct it. And so your finished product is this, uh, you know, it it's so... The finished product is so clean and reads so well and gets out the information that you want to get out. So it's just a great platform. I really enjoy doing it. Um, so make sure to check those articles out uh, in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and the Eastman's Hunting Journal. 
Um, we're also coming into the MRS season, the members research section, um, where Eastman's does a great job at, at giving you statistics um, and, and really a comprehensive breakdown of each state, the tags they offer, the opportunities they offer, uh, good tags, they rate every hunt. Um, it, it's just an absolute resource for the Western hunter to learn these other states and begin to apply to build points or to plan hunts for them. So uh, that comes along with um, the issues of Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal, the members research section. So make sure to check that out. And um, boy, I think that's about all I got. I, I need to sit down and do that solo podcast. I think I'll get that out this week along with this podcast and just kind of reflect uh, upon the last year and, and um, talk about the next year, 2020 coming up and some of my goals, places where I can improve, places where I've, where I've done well, um, things that have really worked for me and uh, share that with you guys. So it'll be a real fun podcast. Sit down in my basement here, hit record, see what comes out. So um, thanks as always guys for all the support. I really appreciate it. Uh, support of the podcast, the social media and things um, makes the world go around. So um, thanks, you guys. Uh, happy New Year, and uh, check in with you next week.